You're listening to The Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. We are a community of recovering people who have overcome the odds and found the courage to change. Each week, we share stories of recovery from substance abuse, eating disorders, grief and loss, childhood trauma, and other life-changing experiences. Come join us no matter where you are on your recovery journey. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage Change Recovery Podcast. My name is Ashley Loblassingame, and I am your host. And today we are here with a Q&A with my producer, Scott. Scott, say hi. Hi, everybody. It's me again. It's him again. It's me again. What are we doing today? Today, we got a good one. We got a spicy one. We got one for all those, you know, romantics out there. And it's how do I date now that I'm sober? You know, dating is very anxiety producing and I don't know what to do now. I'm supposed to be meeting people. I'm supposed to be meeting people who are cool with my sobriety. Ashley, can you reflect back? Can you think about when you were newly sober? What was that like? Okay, well, disclaimer, I got sober at 19. So I wasn't looking for Mr. Right. So the first common recommendation in program and in recovery and 12-step and treatments is that you don't date for the first year. Not sure how many people listen to that, but that is a recommendation. And the reason... What do you you think? Just like, what do you think the percentage of people that actually do that? I would be totally pulling it out of my ass. Okay. Probably anecdotally, that's what I was curious. Anecdotally, out of my friend group, anecdotally, out of my ass, probably 20% max, maybe 10%. Can we have anecdotally out of my ass just actually be the name of the series, please? Yes, Yes. anecdotally out of my ass, (laughs) out of my ass, anecdotal ass, Asnecdotals with Ash. Asne- I love it. Yeah, that's my name. <laughs> Asnecdotals. Okay, so asnecdotally, yeah, probably between ten and twenty percent. I guess it depends on how old you are and like what your situation is. So the reason that we say that is that a couple things. There's neuroscience behind that. Your brain, you have all these neural pathways and. Those are the communication highways in your brain. Okay. And when you're full charge, your brain is firing. Those highways are lit up. Well, when you get sober and you stop using, those lights just go boom. They're down, right? And typically the way that we've been lighting them up is through the use of drugs and alcohol. So we stop using and our brain is flat, which is part of why we feel like shit. But it typically takes like the average person between 35 and 60 days for the lights to start to even come back on. Around 60 days is where you start to regain some impulse control. Your The lights start to flicker back on. Okay. That's just flickering back on. After about a year, your brain has, you know, and again, on average, your brain has come back online. If you have not used, if you have started to live a healthy lifestyle in recovery, it takes about a year for your brain to be back on. The reality is that you don't know who you are. You're still working on your recovery. So getting into a relationship is about coming in theoretically, if you're doing it right, is about coming into a relationship as a whole person and that two people coming into a relationship as whole people and complementing each other. But what happens typically is when two people come into a relationship and they're both really broken and they're in their healing journey and they're still not 
a whole person, they get into these relationships where they rely on the other person, right? So that they become enmeshed. It becomes potentially toxic. If someone relapses, they take the other one out with them, so on and so forth. And you also really don't know who you're going to be in recovery until you've been doing it for a while because your whole life changes. What you do, what you think, who your friends are, how you spend your time, maybe even your job, maybe even your spouse, whatever it is. So, so much can change in that year. And so the idea is don't make big decisions. Don't get into a relationship in the first year. Did you do that? No, no, I'm not even sure. I, I don't think I even pretended like, (laughs) I was like, cool story, bro. Um, That sounds so great for other people. (laughs) What a good idea. All right. So you didn't wait. I understand it. There's no shame here. I think that would probably be my impulse as well. I think I'd be reaching out for comfort in whatever ways I could get it. And so you could tell me in a really nice and logical way that I needed to not have any relationships, but it wouldn't have worked for me either. So what did it look like in those first... In that sort of... Let's call this phase one of new Ashley and dating. What did that look like? Tell us a tale. Tell us a tale. Oh boy. So... (laughs) That's a big wind up. I mean, what did it look like? Well, I was living in a... I don't know if it was a halfway house or what you'd call... I think it's sober living. I don't know what you'd call it now. Okay. So I was in sober living and while I was there, I was few months, maybe six months plus sober. And I went to get a tattoo while I was in sober living and started hooking up with the tattoo artist. Did you get free tattoos? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, free depends on how you look at it. (laughs) And then we started dating and I got thrown out of the sober living for because I was, I had a background in piercing. And so I started piercing when I started working there and you weren't supposed to have a job. So I got thrown out for having a job, which I thought was funny because there were people using in the sober living who like got to come back, but I didn't. And then, so he and I started living together like after that. So it was like really fast. And he and I dated for a couple of years. And then I left him and left Arizona, moved to Southern California. I had relapsed in that relationship. And a girlfriend of mine who I was moving in with took me to an AA meeting in Laguna Beach. And that was the first night I ever met my husband. But we didn't end up together for years. But he was at that meeting that night. But it was love at first sight, just in a roundabout way, right? (laughs) No, no, (laughs) it was not. I was not interested in him at all. And then I just had a good time with people (laughs) when I first got to Southern California. And this was... Were these people that you were going to meetings with for the most part? Yeah. So like... Yeah. So most of the people that I was... I think... I think almost all the people that I was seeing or hooking up with were in the program. But I absolutely immersed myself in all things 12-step AA because I moved to a new place and I was struggling to stay sober. I didn't have any friends. I didn't know anyone. And I was just like, really in my head, this was going to be my final hurrah. So it was either going to work or I was just going to you know, go out and use to die. And so I showed up before the meeting. I stayed after the meeting. I went to the meeting after the meeting. As they say, I went with everybody to get coffee. I went to the movies. We went to raves. I went to young people in AA conventions. I went went on trips. I went like I did. I had this group of young people. I was in school as well, but like I basically embedded myself in the middle of 
program. And so the people that I was surrounded with were sober. And so that was a big piece of how I met people at that time. That's probably the least complicated, right? You're like, I'm in this room. We're at least somewhat on the same page. We can start there, right? Yeah. I mean, I will say, and I'm married to someone who's sober a long time and like speaks the 12 step language and speaks the language of recovery and therapy. And a perfect example, like yesterday, we went on a date hike or whatever, because we're old and that's what we do now. We're like super romantic date where we sweat a lot, but not on each other. And I said to him, we were in the car and I was like, Hey, we have some stuff we got to talk about. And I'm totally open to calling our therapist to do it together. Or we can try to use some of the skills that we have. Are you open to that? And yes, I'm open to that. Okay. What are you willing to do? Here's how I'm feeling. Like The only reason we're able to have a conversation like that was we both have this background and this common language and this willingness. And as a result of both having done and being forced to do this work, it's not like we're better people. We just literally had to. We have a common language. I find that to be incredibly helpful in building a life together and with the willingness to work on yourselves. There is a lot of value of being able of two people really understanding this deep part of who you are because it is a it is always going to be a part of who you are. That's helpful and you do get to understand people's support network and I, I just think there's a lot of value to it. However, there's also a lot of risk, right? The, the of relapse and and other things. So, you know, everything is a trade-off, but I spent a lot of time with these groups of people. And so that was the majority of where I dated. So I'm hearing you say unequivocally that people should walk into meetings, just look for the person they think is the finest and then go for that, right? There's no cons, correct? So I will say this. So a couple of things. I typically went to a lot of meetings. I would meet people and... I went out with or whatever nice word you want to use to, for, for whatever we were doing. <laughs> courted. Um, courted. I, I courted. Um, <laughs> I was seeing people who were... I lived in Orange County and I would see people in LA in program in LA. So like I did not, as I always say, like shit where you eat. Do not shit where you eat unless you are sure that that is worth the trouble it's going to cause potentially. I didn't do that very much. So I will say that was one thing. But I will say this, whatever reason you go to a meeting, you get sober, you stay sober, you show up is a good reason. And I would call, I had this mentor and who I just adore. And he would tell me, I would call him and I was like, the only reason I'm going to this meeting is because there's this such and such guy there. Or the only reason I'm going to this meeting is, you know, and it was some superfluous or sexual related or some bullshit reason, right? Why I was going to go to this meeting, but I went. And so I would go to the meeting and he would always say like 10 years down the line, it won't matter why you went to that meeting or what what your motive was going there because you showed up. And if you heard something and if it kept you sober that one day, then the fact that you went there to hook up with somebody, that's okay. And so he was always you know, very supportive and, and helps me 
work through a lot of that stuff helped me work through these, you know, I was like, I don't want to get loaded because I don't want a newcomer chip. Not because I care about my sobriety, but because I don't want a newcomer chip. And it was like, it doesn't matter. Like no one is going to care. You're not going to care in 10 years why you stayed sober that one day or whatever it is. So all that is to say that, yes, it can cause you a shit ton of problems. You will not want to go to a meeting to see someone anymore and blah, blah, blah. All the things that happen if you hook up with people where in your friend group, but... As long as you continue to go. So as long as you don't do something that pushes you out of program, that's the dangerous part is like you're unwilling to go to AA or you're unwilling to go to your support, whatever that looks like, church, whatever, because you hooked up with somebody and now you're embarrassed or it went badly. That is the danger. But if you're going to program because you like to hang out with those people, then whatever reason you're there is a good one. Yeah. Well, so I know a little bit about your story, but let's say, okay, so that was maybe phase one, but there was a phase two. What did phase two look like? My version, that time version of the apps, basically. Um, And I did some online dating. I dated all types of people in and out of recovery. So I think that's kind of what people struggle with. I... To be honest, you know, I have some friends who have said to me, like, I don't know what I'm going to tell people. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I didn't feel that way about it. I wasn't ashamed or embarrassed of it. So it was easy for me to say, like, I don't drink. I'm in recovery, period, end of story. And I think that, I think that is, if you have that confidence, that's very useful and helpful and that you should use it. I understand not everybody is in that space. And so I've talked about with people, like, if you're using online dating, people, you put the information in there. I don't drink. Like that should be in your information so that someone can see that ahead of time. No questions asked. And then going out on dates with people, being able to see whether or not how they respond to that. I did not come across anyone who was discriminatory against me as a result of not drinking. It just wasn't an... I don't know. It just wasn't an issue. Even with the people who were not sober, I also didn't say to them, Hi, I'm Ashley. I'm an alcoholic. This is my story. I, you know, was a gnarly junkie and did all these things. Do you want to date me? You know, like <laughs> like like I think a lot of people think that if they say I don't drink, that that person can immediately like see all your insides and your story and everything that you've been through. And the reality is like, you don't need to share all of that. And I think that's something that we, because we're used to sharing in meetings, our story, and we're used to talking about it and being very vulnerable, particularly with people who aren't in the program, who aren't sober. I believe that it's a mistake to just unveil all of the, you know, like don't tell them all your dirty dope secrets while you start dating someone, like let that shit out slowly and thoughtfully and, Also, and honestly, even with people in recovery, you know, I mean, when my husband and I started dating, like we disclosed every fucking thing we could think of, (laughs) which is, was, is entirely (laughs) unnecessary and unhelpful, you know, even 15 years later, whatever it is. So I think, you know, good rule of thumb is like, I don't drink. I had a problem with drinking and I'm in recovery now and it's wonderful. And this is a great part of my life. I found that, you know, when I drink, bad things happen or something of that nature. You come up with your own script, you kind of leave it at that. And if they want to ask deeper and deeper questions, you decide how you want to respond to that. But I find that that script of like, I don't drink anymore. I live this healthy lifestyle. This is what it looks like. And you don't make it this whole, like, this is not your opportunity to pitch them and tell them your story. I think people respond pretty well to it. 
Isn't all dating supposed to be that you just hide yourself for at least six months to a year and you just kind of let your like bad, you know, features just come out after they're stuck with you? Isn't that the whole point of dating? I think that's what you're supposed to do, but I didn't get the memo. And so I'm just like hot ass mass express right in your face. Here's what it is. But one thing I will say is that a lot of people, like you just said, there's this happy medium between showing them all your dirty, dark secrets and everything that's fucked up about you and hiding everything. And I think what I see these days is people are so nervous about like playing the game, the timing, like, do I ask to hang out? What type of hang? Like there's so much procedure in dating these days that in my experience is what you lose is the authenticity of that person because they're trying to interact in a robotic, methodical way. And relationships are not robotic and methodical. They don't, there isn't like a perfect timeline that for every person, relationships are messy and they're vulnerable and they're push and pull and they're individualized. What I see is a loss of that. And I think one thing that recovery helped me do is to show up in relationships not not tell them every dark secret, but say, this is who I am. I would say to them, if you tell me you're going to call me, I need you to call me. Or I need you to not tell me you're going to call me. Because if I think you're going to call me, this triggers things for me. It makes me feel really clingy and scared. And if you just don't say you're going to do that, I don't expect it and I'm fine. And like I would have conversations with people like, this is how I communicate. I'm going to ask... If I want to hang out, I'm going to ask you to hang out. You don't have to do it. But I'm not going to like wait a certain amount of days or like, this is who I am. And what I see out there is that people don't know each other because they're trying to time everything perfectly and and play the right game and angle themselves the right way. And that isn't what a long-term relationship looks like. So you're you're really mimicking something that isn't real. Yeah. Well, I think you're setting yourself up for an awful lot of difficulty if the relationship keeps going too, because it suddenly it relies on you being a mind reader forever, right? It's just like exactly. Exactly. I think I'm getting sensations that tell me that I'm supposed to. Yeah. People are talking about like, oh, it's coming on too fast. It's like, okay, well, I don't know if my fast and your fast might be totally different. This is coming on too fast is a conversation we have. What's fast for you? What's, you know, and I think it's some of those things are lost when you're trying to be the perfect candidate. One of the things about dating and dating and recovery is like you're learning how to be authentic with other people in a way that is scary and a way that you may have never done before. If you're going to have... Some people have never had sober sex in their life, right? It's a very different experience if you have any trauma, if you've never done this, if you whatever. So again, being really aware of your authenticity, how you're presenting to people and finding finding before you enter into any kind of dating situation, figuring out what your modus operandi is. What's your MO? What am I? Hi, I'm Ashley. I don't drink because I had a problem with drinking, but now I live this lifestyle. It's really great. This is who I am. I'm pretty intense. I don't follow a lot of the cultural norms, kind of a potty mouth. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, I'm interested in these things. I really would like to get married in my late twenties. I'm interested in having children. Like this is who I am, like a understanding of who I am and what I'm looking for before I go out and present myself to other people. 
Do you think so, you know, where you're talking about like kind of all these moves and the timing and everything like that? Do you think that that's a symptom of the prevalence of online dating now? Cause like you're basically putting a resume out. Yeah. It's, it's a function of online dating. It's a function of online communication. It's a function of pandemic. It's a function of cell phones and texting. It's a function of our online presentation and all of our fears that we don't look like our headshot or that we don't present like whatever we present online and that we're going to get found out for being fatter than we look in that photo or whatever. Like, you know, like, does this count as catfishing, you know, or whatever. (laughs) Like all of us have that insecurity of like, are they going to be like, this chick look like this in this photo? And then you're like, well, do I put a bad picture? So they're like happy, you know, so it's so many different dynamics. You know, did I put too many exclamation points? Did I put like, I don't know, these are things that we didn't have to deal with in the same way that people have to deal with now. And I I do respect the fact that I don't have the same experience that other people are dealing with and that things are different. But I do think that that's a function of a lot of our technology. But... I will say on the flip side, the beautiful thing, I happen to marry someone who I fell into the same swimming pool with, if you will. You have the opportunity through using online dating to skip finding out that they don't have the right job, finding out that they aren't interested religiously, they aren't interested in children. They aren't like you have the opportunity to meet people that you would never bump into and to correspond with them to not waste your time, right? To not spend six months or five dates, whatever, dating a person that literally does turns out that they think being gay is a choice. I don't know, whatever, whatever it is. And you're like, whoa, that's a deal breaker for me. Or like, you know, they're into breed specific legislation for dogs. I don't don't know, whatever it is. (laughs) You come up with your thing and you're just like, absolutely not. Like date five, now I find this out. Some of that stuff can be filtered through. And so it's a time saver, right? It's a, and you have the opportunity to meet people who maybe would never fall into your swimming pool. So on the one hand, yes, there are lots of complications with it. And on the other hand, I think people need to understand, you know, when people are like, I don't care about the apps, I'm done. It's like you have this opportunity to go out and find a partner if that's what you're looking for. The passivity of looking for a partner that people believe should be part of it interests me in the sense that I find it naive. If you want to get married by 29 and you want to have children in such, you know, XYZ fertility window, and you think that's just going to fall into your lap, you know, you're just going to meet them and call, you know, whatever. I think that's a mistake. If you have specific goals that you want you want your life to look a certain way. I think there's a certain amount of putting that into motion and manifesting, if you will, having a relationship, looking for a relationship. And I think that the the online dating piece is a really great tool for that. And for sober people, they can upfront put in their profile that they don't drink. Mm-hmm. I agree 100%. I know we have the perfect plan for them, for anybody who's looking for dating at this point, which actually is date at meetings, then do online dating and find out that that doesn't work out. And then have a guy who you didn't like immediately out of the gate and say no a lot of times. Then go to Spain next. Next step is go to Spain. Have the message you while you're in Spain. 
and then come back and then be at a party and want to leave the party and have them offer you a ride. I understand that that is pretty airtight, right? That's, that's, like, airtight. that's my airtight suggestion. We can give you a step by step. But if you didn't have that, if you were out there, you're brand new to sobriety and it's Ashley 2.0, knowing what you know now, what do you, what are you doing? Okay. So I'm newly sober and I'm dating. Yeah. I get into the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous. I go to a lot of meetings. I um, engage heavily in hobbies or things that make me feel good. So one of the things that we did in program, and I can't remember where this is. I can't remember if this is a treatment thing or an AA thing, but you write out your sane and sound ideal. And you basically, before you sit down and you write out what it is you want in a partner and you describe them in whatever way you want, whether you and you put in things that are nice to have, things that you need to have, and deal breakers. And what that does is it creates a framework for you of what you're looking for. So that when you go out, you've already thought through what the deal breakers are, right? You have thought that through. You've thought about what you want, what you know, and even if it's vague and you can go back and change it. But the idea of a re- in recovery, having a sane and sound ideal is when we weren't in recovery, when we were in active addiction, our ideals were not sane and sound and they were based on access or what, you know, whatever the hell they were based on. Now we're creating something new. This is a new life. So I would have that as reference for myself, like having done that without a person in mind. And then I would choose people on the apps. I would present myself as I am for real. I would meet up, you know, I typically like to meet up for coffee because you can extend coffee or you can leave. And it's an opportunity to have conversation about, you know, you don't have to have the alcohol there so you can bring it up and it's not like a current situation where they wanted to drink, right? If you go out for drinks and you tell them when you get there that you don't drink and now they're uncomfortable because in their mind, they were going to have that glass of wine with you. You, right there's no expectation of drinking so you can have the conversation without expectation and i would i would be very 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 deliberate about what i want and i would also not sleep with people and this is you know this is what i would do differently i would not sleep with people who did not meet up to that sane and sound ideal and here's why if i wanted if i was like looking for a partner when you sleep with people even if you are a person who can do that without getting crazy entanglements which i i was not everybody he's like that. The overarching message is when you sleep with people, you end up with people. That's the very, very common thing. And so you could go and I saw this all the time. It was like, well, I'm just hooking up with him. We're just having a good time. And they were clearly did not meet up to that sane and sound ideal. Well, they end up falling in love with them. Now they have someone who doesn't meet those criteria, but they're in love with them. They get married, so on and so forth. It's easy to find yourself in that situation. And I think it's important to be deliberate. Love it. Love it. Okay. You heard it. I think it's crystal clear and dating is going to be super easy from here on out for everybody who's listening. Get a therapist. Yeah. Like get a therapist while you're dating so that you can bounce ideas off of them or things early on, like be in therapy. And maybe that's a thing you want of your partner to be the other person to be in therapy or at least open to going. But I think while you're dating, being in therapy is very helpful. You will uncover a shitload of things about yourself that maybe you didn't know. I had to explain that when people would sleep over, I would be like, I have night terrors. They're really bad. And I'm really sorry if you like get woken up to me crying in my sleep, but like heads up, you know, things that maybe aren't normal for other people, but you learn to 
manage through them, through communication, but you're doing that because you have therapy because you go, oh, this is coming up for me. And then the therapist asks you questions about it and you have dialogue and then you come up with a plan and you bring that plan and that communication into the relationship and then back and forth and back and forth. So yeah, I I highly, highly, highly recommend being in therapy. I mean, if you marry someone and you stay with them and you stay with them your whole life, you will spend more time with them than any other person on planet earth. You better fucking like them. (laughs) So we've got our, we've got our, uh, checkout meetings, get your sobriety going well, get your, your wants and your own no nos, get your sane and sound ideal. Maybe go see a therapist while you're working this out and then just be honest about what you need. That seems pretty good. Seems pretty good. I hope you all enjoyed this one. Ashley, if they've got questions that they want you to talk about, how do they do that? I know. Okay. If you have questions that you want specific answers to, because this was kind of one of those overarching, non-specific generalizations, you can email us at podcast at lionrock.life. You can find me on Instagram, Ashley Loeb Blassingame or Tip Top. TikTok, uh, <laughs> Ashley Blasting Game, and you can send us messages in any of those places or our Instagram, Courage to Change underscore podcast, where we will answer. We will answer your requests, your emails, your questions, and we can incorporate them into the show. Yep, we'd love to hear from you. We appreciate you listening. We hope that this was helpful, Ashley. Anything you want to leave the people with? There is something I want to leave the people with. One of the things that we do in recovery is that we find ways to be of service to people. And I have a friend who started a company called Bless It Bag. Bless It Bag. And Bless It Bag is something that you carry in your car and you hand out to homeless people that has all sorts of hygiene kits, food, different things. And it's easy to carry in a backpack in a car. There's one specific to men, one specific to women, and one for pets. In this time of crisis, especially if you're living in Southern California or you're living in New York, the people experiencing homelessness is incredibly prevalent. And if you purchase a blessed bag, put it in your cart, something you can hand out and be helpful to people. And it's a way for us to give back. We've been takers for a long time and it, it always feels good to give back. So blessed bag, when you buy a blessed bag, they send it to you and they also donate to a charity of your choice. So please check out blessitbag.org. Love it. Love it. So, all right, everybody, we wish you luck in your dating out there. Hopefully this was helpful. Ashley. Happy sober dating, everybody. You got this. This podcast is sponsored by lionrock.life. Lionrock.life is a diverse and supportive recovery community offering weekly over 70 online peer support meetings, useful recovery information, and entertaining content. Whether you're newly sober, have many years in recovery, or you're recovering from something other than drugs and alcohol, we have space for you. Visit www.lionrock.life today and enter promo code COURAGE for one month of unlimited peer support meetings free. Find the joy in recovery at lionrock.life.